Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. All right, welcome in Lake Kick is live. It is Sunday night, December 6th, the year of our Lord, 2020 jam-packed show. Every Sunday, it seems you get up early enough in the morning where you think, going to get the show put together, going to get it stacked, we're going to get ready to go, may go get gym, hit the park, do whatever, and then the phone starts ringing, and then information starts coming in, and then all of a sudden it's 623, and Colin's asking, hey, where are my lower thirds? Where's the thumbnail? And it's right up until showtime. But having said that, as a result of that, We've got a jam-packed show tonight. We've got reaction. We've got some coaching scoop on multiple fronts. They've hired a guy at South Carolina. Um, there haven't even been moves made at places like Texas or certainly Michigan, but yet that hasn't stopped people from talking, as you very well know by this point. So we're going to discuss the very latest tangible fact-based information that we're hearing from those two places. We've got several games to react to tonight. By my count, I think we're going to hit eight games in some shape, form, or fashion before we go off the air early best bet tonight, uh, which we do every Sunday night, there were there was a rumor, a really bad rumor, floating around the Twitter sphere yesterday that the Ramen Noodle Express derailed. It didn't. And if you stayed up till about 2 a.m., not only did you realize it didn't derail, we had a winning week. We went five and four. So uh, you don't know that if you only watch the show. You better be following on Twitter because there's a lot of information that comes out between the last time we talked Thursday and the time that games kick off Sunday. So I can't remember how many we added Probably four more games. I think we added four more games after the Thursday show. If you didn't catch those, you didn't go above 500. If you did catch them at Late Kick Josh, by the way, then you had another winning week. And we are 59.7% against the spread right now. Anyone want to round up to 60, be my guest. 60 sounds a lot better. I'm not necessarily going to go into this as a segment. In fact, I didn't even tell Colin I was going to talk about this. But some of you who follow me on Twitter, by the way, probably saw this earlier today, and about four hours after I put it out there, I see some reports coming out. Actually, in the last couple of minutes, I was scrolling, and I see the guys at AL.com, uh, very, very good team to follow there, uh, Zenit and Talte there at AL.com, but they're reporting this. But I was talking to someone earlier today, as, as I do every Sunday, I try and get as much feedback from across the landscape as I can, and you try and hit up uh, player personnel people, coaches, if you can get a hold of coaches. Well, the later you get in the season, the more free the information is flowing. Two parts. Number one, because people just don't think they have as much to lose anymore. Number two, because there's just more happening. Therefore, there's more to talk about. And three, some of the folks who you would go to for information are just as curious about what you're hearing. And so there's this exchange. There's free flow of information. Well, normally you hear a lot of what you already suspected. Today, however, I heard something right around lunchtime. Oh, I didn't suspect it at all. In fact, I still find it hard to believe, but yet it's true because it's coming directly from a couple of different members of coaching staffs in the South. The Vanderbilt job is open. That much you know. And you may have heard some names out there, and you may have some names on your mind. But imagine my surprise when I get told today Scott Cochran, 
who is the former strength and conditioning coach at Alabama and is the current special teams coach at Georgia, is making a strong push there. That was exactly what I heard. Now, some of you took that to mean exactly what I didn't say I heard, which was Cochran's a serious contender there. I didn't say that. I know nothing about what Vanderbilt or anyone associated with their coaching search thinks about Scott Cochran. No clue. Uh, To be honest with you, it would shock me if he had any serious traction there. But that's just one of many crazy tidbits of information that you could get if you keep your phone on ring instead of silent on Sunday. So um, we're going to be talking a lot about that. Not tonight, because that's about all I got on that. But as you dig more and you get more information, I'm sure the rest of December will be filled with a whole lot of that stuff. And that, listen, that's before any of these big jobs outside of Carolina have really opened up. So it's kind of a wait and see mode, but we're going to talk about that a lot more tonight. Let's dive into games, shall we? Alabama 55, LSU 17 yesterday really backed up one of the age-old adages out there, the old, if you come for the king, it's okay. It's okay to come for the king, but you better not miss because if you miss and you don't take every single breath out of the king's body, then he's going to take every breath and then some out of your body when he finally gets up and dusts himself off. Uh, If you didn't watch this, don't go back and watch the replay with your children around, at least don't go back and watch the replay. If you don't make sure that you take care of it and you don't salt the earth and you don't completely overtake things when you have the chance, then they're going to name a charity event after you down the road because that's about what's left of LSU after last night. It reminded me of that scene from Office Space. Those of you who have seen that movie know exactly what I'm talking about. And Even if you don't, you've probably seen at least the movie scene that I'm talking about from Office Space where guys are just fed up. And they're disgusted with their current employment situation, but they can't do anything about it. You know, you you can't walk in and you can't take a baseball bat to your boss. So what do you do? Well, you take a computer, the computer you hate, which is symbolic for everything that you hate about your life and your work situation. And you take it out into a field and you take a baseball bat and you just take turns beating on the computer. Now, truthfully, after a few whacks with a baseball bat to a computer, the computer's dead and gone but that doesn't stop you from beating on the computer. And then you hand it off to your buddy, and then your buddy beats on it, and there are pieces all over the place, and then third buddy steps up, and by that point, it's just a bunch of debris, and that's kind of what it was like by halftime last night. There was just LSU all over the field. It's the best way I could describe it. Kind of gave you a heads up this was coming. Now, that's not some great prediction. That didn't really take any kind of rocket scientry, new word for the show tonight, because they were favored, they being Alabama, by about 29 and a half or 30 points. It wasn't that they were going to win. It wasn't that they were even going to cover, although they did, and maybe some people had questions about that with it being such a historically high line, especially for this series. Uh, What we told you was there's a little bit different way that that game was being handled. Very rarely, if ever, aside from maybe the build-up to an SEC or national title game, have I felt collectively what I felt coming out of Alabama last week, talking to some folks around the program. This was not a normal game. It was never treated as a normal game. Some of you saw that clip from Nick Saban pregame when I uh, think it was the CBS crew that got a hold of him as he was walking into Tiger Stadium. And he said the kind of stuff he never says publicly before. Behind the scenes, he says this stuff all the time. But he said something to the effect of, you know, they probably think, based on what they did last year, they got a good chance to hang with us. They probably think they can beat Alabama. So I guess what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to we're going to have to change the way they think about that. That's about as close as you'll ever hear Nick Saban to kind of publicly stating a result-oriented goal. They're really big on that around there. If you've ever listened to him speak, um, especially in like a clinic setting, he's really big on telling you, forget all the result-oriented goals. Get those out of the way. Just be process-oriented. And if you're process-oriented, the result will take care of itself. 
uh, well, last night, I mean, that was about as close to a result-oriented, publicly stated goal as you'll ever hear from him. And there's some beauty in that, because think about what you're telling your team. Think about what you're ingraining into their mind. What you're saying is, let's not score this many points. Let's not score that many points. Let's not put up this many statistical anomalies across the board. And let's not even necessarily win the game. Let's just change the way someone thinks. Because truth be told, most of the time, even if folks think they can beat Alabama, they're probably not going to do it. But if you don't think you can beat someone, folks like Saban or anyone for that matter know you're dead. I mean, you're dead and buried already. And gone, as he would say, gone. The first half here was a pure and utter splattering. These numbers are, well, they're pretty much Xbox in nature. 470 of 492 total yards possible. So I want to reiterate this. This is a stat we've only used twice on the show. Earlier this year, we said it about them in the Ole Miss game. Let me reiterate. In the first half, if Alabama were to have gained every possible yard they could gain, they would have gained 492 yards. Okay, Start where the drive starts, score a touchdown every drive, 492 yards. They got 470 in the first half of the game, not the whole game. So that's 95% of total possible yards that they gain in the first half. Mac Jones, in fact, a lot of their guys put up stat lines, the likes of which in Saban's first few years, they never had happen in entire games to show you how much the game has changed. Jones, uh, 338 yards and four touchdowns in the first half. Devontae Smith, alleged non-Heisman contender still, Devontae Smith, seven catches for 219 yards and three scores. It was 45 to 14 at the half. And I looked over both shoulders, even though I was here alone watching the game, because I was halfway worried I was going to be deposed as a witness for what I just watched on this TV screen here. Devontae Smith is surging statistically. He's surging right now. And think about what that means. He's surging. He's putting up the best numbers of his career, and it's been just a completely insane career. And he's doing it without Jalen Waddle. Jalen Waddle goes down in the Tennessee game, and the first reaction is, You look at the schedule and you say, all right, they'll probably be able to beat most of these teams, but it could be a red flag. It could be sort of the old canary in a coal mine if we look at their production and Devontae Smith's having trouble getting open. A lot of teams are bracketing, doubling him. Well, they're doing that. It just doesn't affect him because that's what great players are able to do. They kind of transcend a lot of what conventional wisdom is. And that's him. If you argued with really, if you argued with me that he is the most impactful receiver that's come through the program, I wouldn't disagree with you. You're talking about Julio Jones. You're talking about Amari Cooper. That kind of rarefied air. I don't know that anyone's had an impact on a game in game out basis, and certainly done it four years now, and done it consistently as Smith has. He came in as a true freshman, and he won the national championship game on the second and twenty-six play. I mean, that's certainly the highlight of most guys' careers. And yet when you talk about Devontae Smith these days, people remember it, but that's not even the first thing they go to anymore. You know how good you have to be to not overcome that, but kind of paint over that with the rest of the tapestry of your career? Uh, I just want to say this. I'll move on because I've, I've beaten this dead horse even worse than Alabama beat LSU last night. If you got a Heisman vote out there, you're looking at the best player in America there right now, number six in Crimson. Best player on his team, best player in America. So they, like Colin and I were talking about before the show, you're going to have probably one of the laziest arguments in all of sports award season is, well, you know, it's got to be a quarterback. No, the Maxwell Award has to go to a quarterback, just like the Bolitnikoff has to go to a wide receiver. They have this entire culture of 
award season where there are individual trophies for individual position groups. You then have a trophy in the Heisman that's supposed to go to the most outstanding player in college football, and yet you still have guys that uh, really kind of channel their emotion and channel their energy into, well, let's find a quarterback here. Man, that's Smith kid. That's too bad he's a receiver. Tell you, if you changed one thing and one thing only, if you just put him on more preseason magazine covers, if you just made him the preseason favorite, just change that. Keep the season for everyone the same. Um, I think you would probably not be shocked to find he'd probably run a second or third at worst right now because uh, that's how lazy that process is. But we don't talk about it a whole lot here. i just kind of been bothered by it, but Devontae Smith's going to be okay. He doesn't mean me fighting for him. I do not agree. I want As much as I praise Alabama, I don't buy this notion that they're an unbeatable team now. I don't believe that at all. Now, I think there are very few teams out there capable of beating him. In fact, there may only be one. There may be two or three. They will be favored over anyone they play. They are unequivocally the best team in the SEC. They are unequivocally, well, to me at least, the best team in America right now. I'm not taking that step that some of you are taking and saying that uh, they're unbeatable. I remember that song and dance back in 2018. They got run out of the building out in California by Clemson. They're really good. They're really good. But... I mean, LSU had some offensive success last night that certainly wasn't going to change the outcome of that game. Alabama was without a number of coaches. So who's to say that, you know, Josh Job may be out of position without his position coach and in position with his position coach? I don't know how that impacts the game. It certainly didn't impact the final. But if you get a hot quarterback and a balanced offense, Florida has half of that equation. If you fit both of those and you're opportunistic defensively and you've got comparable athletes to them, you could beat them. You, you probably go in the game as a 9- or 10-point underdog. You can beat them. It, it can be done. Clemson can beat them. Ohio State can beat them. they got to have a lot of things go right. But don't buy into that. Oh, it's, it's an unstoppable force here. It's not WrestleMania. We're, we're not billing a main event. Okay, This outcome's not predetermined. They're going to have to play the game still. LSU, meanwhile, I was looking at my inbox, which prompted me to put something out on Twitter. Um, I had a couple of folks ask me what I thought about Ed Orgeron's future. Now, let me tell you what I think. I think exactly what I thought in the preseason. I didn't think that it was going to be as disastrous as this, but I said the worst case, if it comes to fruition, won't matter. That's what winning a championship does for you. And that's exactly what has happened. And that man still has a national championship ring, and you've got all the memories, and they've got the banner, and like everything about last season is still there. It's etched in stone, no matter what's happening right now. Now, they are bad, But yet, in retrospect, when we look back at all they had to deal with externally, coupled with COVID and coupled with all the NFL departures, all the opt-outs, like, I don't know what best case would have been this year. So here's what he's certainly going to have the opportunity to do. He's going to have the opportunity to correct a very, very bad decision in hiring Bo Pelini as his head coach, who made over $400,000 or $46,000. It wouldn't quite be that much. $46,000 per week is currently what Bo Pelini is bringing in. And it'll be more when you have to buy them out, but that's what they're going to have to do. So I think they'll be okay. They, more importantly, really believe they're going to be okay. Because here's what they point to. Number one, things are back to normal next year. We'll get spring. We'll get everything balanced out and calibrated. Number two, we'll get a better coaching staff in here. Expect those moves to come pretty swiftly. Number three, not this week, mind you, but pretty swiftly. Number three, they point to recruiting, and they're right to point to recruiting because they're rolling. I mean, they're doing really well in recruiting right now. And there, to my knowledge, has been no kid that has been turned away and publicly or behind the scenes stated, 
I'm not going to LSU because I'm turned off by the current direction of that program. Like I loved what I saw last year as I was a junior in high school, but now that I'm a senior and it's decision time, I'm not feeling it. That could change. We got early signing day coming up about a week and a half, two weeks. That could change. But for now, I don't see that. All right, let's move on. Let's talk about uh, probably the most significant yet under the radar game nationally yesterday. Texas A&M went into Auburn and a lot of you had them on upset alert, and they won 31 to 20, as it turns out. So they won and they covered. This was a very trendy upset pick. Had a lot of you talking about this one. And as I've always told you, anytime someone wants to say something that you think is false, i.e., Auburn's going to beat Texas A&M. Like, I didn't think that was going to happen. I said as much on the show. But some of you had differing opinions, which is cool. That's why we do this. And as I've told you, I have my inbox opened up, I have my email opened up, and I listen to and read every single thing you guys send. So some of you said, well, you're wrong. Auburn's going to win this Saturday. Now, the wallet, as I have continued to try and instruct some of you, the wallet is the ultimate lie detector. If you challenge someone to back up their opinion with their wallet, you will quickly find out how convicted they are in that opinion. And I got to give credit, not by name, but I got to give credit. In consecutive weeks, Two of you have made what I thought were pretty outrageous claims, and I challenged you with your wallet, and you backed it up, and the clock had not hit zero a combined two minutes in the last two weeks before you had gotten in touch with me, and you had made things right. So I credit you for that. And listen, if anyone else wants to take a seven-plus point underdog to win outright, I'll be more than happy to listen to you talking about picking a game straight up, by the way. This was a gut check for Texas A&M now. I think we can be fair And we can say this wasn't the biggest hurdle in the world in Auburn, but we can also say uh, it was a very admirable fourth quarter performance, especially. Uh, Fourth quarter is where you got to count on your depth and your roster and whatnot if you're Texas A&M and you're Jimbo Fisher. That's where you got to make it happen. So in the fourth quarter, going into it, they trailed 20 to 14, and they outscored Auburn 17 zip in the fourth quarter. They had a 168 to 21 yardage advantage against Auburn in the fourth quarter. 69 to negative 9 was the comparative rushing yard total in the fourth quarter. That's a big, big deal. And 11 minutes to 4 minutes. For those of you who care about time of possession, not all of you do, but some of you are with me. 11 to 4, it's a pretty good deal. Uh, Also, third down was probably the name of the game in the fourth quarter. A&M went 4 of 5, and Auburn was 0 for 3. You ended up having the better quarterback on the visiting side, I would say the better coaching lineup is on the visiting side. Sometimes that doesn't play out game to game, but also you just had the better roster. You got the deeper roster. This is one of many reasons, and we're not necessarily going to talk about this at length tonight, but I will in just a second. One of the many reasons why I call the Auburn job pound for pound when expectation is married with reality, the toughest job in Power 5. I hope you heard what I said. Not the toughest job, period. The toughest job when all the relative factors are weighed in. So I'm going to talk about that in a second. There was kind of close to a padlock stat here. Um, When you got 47 carries for 313 yards and you're going on the road in the SEC, chances are you're winning the game more times than not. So that's close to a padlock stat. A&M had 6.7 yards per carry. I'll tell you another thing, and not that we made a bet on the total here at all, but the total was in the upper 40s. If I were to have told you Friday, there are going to be 87 combined rushing attempts in this game. You would have had just a vision in your head of a clock running all afternoon, and you probably would have leaned heavily towards the under, as would I. Uh, This ended up going over. So, hey, that looks like a padlock stat. It's not a padlock stat. 70 to 54 
was the plays run advantage for Texas A&M. So in a lot of these critical stat categories, what I'm trying to tell you is there have been times in the past where A&M has won games and they kind of fluked their way from a statistical standpoint. They kind of fluked their way to a win. That wasn't the case here. Uh, Jalen Wiedermeyer came up big, the tight end yesterday, kind of a hybrid tight end in terms of his body build. Texas A&M, you could look at them right now, and I would agree with you if you said this team's probably maxed its potential. I don't think there's another gear offensively for them. Kellen Mond is who he is. This receiver group is who they are. They had a really good day running the ball yesterday. I don't think there's another gear for this team. They're very solid defensively. This team's very good along the lines of scrimmage. It is the situation that you don't see very often right now. Uh, And it's the Tier 2 situation. So the Tier 1 teams are Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State. A&M's not beating them. They're not going to be competitive with those teams if there does indeed come a day where they're matched up with them on a neutral field. But they've played Florida this year. As much as someone wants to talk about how that game would turn out today, they played them. They beat them. I looked up our numbers today. If they played Notre Dame, I'd have Notre Dame by three on a neutral field. So they'd be very competitive, in my mind at least, with Notre Dame. That second tier there, not many teams. It's either tier one or then you're a distant tier three or tier four. That tier two, A&M has firmly parked themselves there for now. And what are you waiting for on tier two? You're waiting on quarterback. You cannot get yourself up into tier one. That's why Notre Dame, as good as I think their story has been this year, and as good as Ian Book has played, you're not in tier one with Ian Book. When you got to go into Fields and Mac Jones and Kyle Trask, like you're not going to be able to do that. So the college football playoff hopes are alive here. There, there is a path. There's certainly a path. I wouldn't call it a greater than 50% path, but there is one. But on the other side, because that's all positive, that's all well and good, and we enter the Christmas season with hope in College Station, what are we entering the Christmas season thinking on the plains in Auburn, Alabama? I do not think that Gus Malzahn is going anywhere. Or if he does, it would be voluntarily, and you don't normally voluntarily walk away from seven-plus million dollars per year in salary. So that's not even a rumor. I'm just saying it kind of theoretically. He, I don't think, is going anywhere. A lot of people were asking me, what now? You know, after every game in college football now, if you're a high-profile coach and you lose, what next? Where do you go from here? Well, I'll tell you where Auburn's going to go. Immediately, they're going to go to Starkville, Mississippi, I think, and they're going to play Saturday. Then they're going to go wherever they can get a bowl game. They're going to finish up their recruiting class, and then they're going to head into spring football, hopefully, for 2021. That's where they're going. What more are you looking for? Because if you're looking for me to say, well, that's it, end of the line. Like Malzahn faced a top 10 team, lost to him by 11 at home. That's it. Whereas I didn't think that before last week, all of a sudden this loss has pushed me over the edge. I, apparently a lot of you thought that more than I did. I, this, this game didn't even particularly strike me. If the Georgia and Alabama games didn't do it for you, I don't know why this one was the one pushed a lot of people over the edge, but apparently it was. But the fact of the matter is, I said on Twitter earlier today, and I'll reiterate here, the fact of the matter is, it is a very barren coaching market right now. There are going to be some programs that want to make a move, uh, and in an ideal world, maybe they would make a move, but can't make a move. I'm not even saying Auburn would make a move in a normal year, but if they wanted to, remember our rule. you got to have a definitive upgrade. You're paying this guy, if you're if you're buying Malzahn and his staff out, you're paying huge buyout money. And by the very nature of firing this guy, you think to yourself, we need to upgrade our head coach. Do you know what it costs to upgrade from a from a dude that's the only one down here currently in the SEC who's beaten Nick Saban multiple times? Do you know what kind of assurances you have to give for a guy to come in here 
park himself in Auburn, Alabama, go heads up against the greatest dynasty in the history of college football that is showing no signs of slowing down. Oh, by the way, you're also the only program in America that's going to have to face Alabama, Georgia, LSU, and Texas A&M annually. Why do I mention those four? Well, those four are about four of the top six or seven annual recruiting programs in America. So there's a very distinct possibility that one-third of your scheduled games per year in conference alone will feature you at a roster disadvantage. And it doesn't even matter then if you sort of win a few of those games. If you don't win, I mean, if you're not 50% or better against those teams, you are hot seat material you got to find someone who's willing to come in and who's willing to assume that responsibility and who is ultimately far better than Gus Malzahn. Do you have that guy out there? This is always what I go to. If you do, I'd be happy to listen to the candidate. I haven't heard the candidate. I certainly haven't seen the candidate. If they're out there, they're out there. Uh, but I don't think a move is going to be made on Gus Malzahn. So when I said that today, I got a little pushback. What, did you see us yesterday? Yeah, I saw you. Point remains. Well, have you seen our record, especially on the road against our, our, our biggest rival? Yeah, you hadn't won a single one. It's 0-12. That's his current record on the road against Georgia, Alabama, LSU. And yet my point remains. You, you, you're trying to convince me that I'm claiming this dude has Auburn right on the precipice of college football playoff consideration. I don't. What I'm telling you is there's this middle ground. Okay, You got greatness, you got terribleness over here, and you got this middle ground to varying degrees. That's where Auburn's hanging out right now. Auburn was ranked a couple of weeks ago. Like, Not that AP rankings are the end-all, be-all, but this is not Kent State. This is not a team that's, that's struggling to put a couple of wins on the board per year. It better be disastrous, especially in this climate with this kind of coaching market. It better be complete and flat-out disaster. That's not what it is there. It's just not good. There's a difference in not good and disastrous. So I know a lot of you disagree with that. I appreciate the passion. But when you disagree with me, I'm just asking you, come at me with a realistic candidate, a realistic name. Not, not, don't ask me, do you think Pete Carroll would entertain leaving Seattle to take over Auburn? Don't bring me that. Bring me somebody realistic, and then we'll talk. Until then, no, because no one's brought me someone realistic so far. Let's go around the rest of the country. We've got a lot to get to. Uh, Colin, I was sure that I was going to get this out of order, but I'm proud of myself. I didn't. So elsewhere in week 14 yesterday, let's hit a number of these games. Ohio State just bounced Michigan State. I don't think I've said that word all year on here, but 52-12. to 12, They bounced them. They were down several players were the Buckeyes. Of course, Ryan Day, the head coach there, had to sit at home. You know what I noticed the most about this game? Aside from Justin Fields playing one of the best games I've seen played this year, all things considered, Ohio State was out three offensive linemen, three starters, all NFL guys, by the way. And they had guys step in. They had another guy that had to move positions. Snaps were an issue. So that's not ideal. Now, there's some talk about whether they get enough reps for those guys on the second team. But overall, again, circumstances included, really solid showing, I thought, from the Ohio State offensive line when you consider, again, all the factors in play. And sometimes, you'll notice this, on these big-time programs that recruit like they do, sometimes it happens with Bama occasionally, like it'll happen with Ohio State, and Georgia will see this happen. You have guys go down, and then someone steps in their place, and the diehard fans know them because they follow recruiting annually, but casual fans, and certainly fans that aren't of that team, they've never heard of them before. So, Dewan Jones, just randomly has to step in yesterday. He's only 6'8", 370 pounds. 
and he's just displacing people all afternoon on the line of scrimmage. And you sit there, and I was reading uh, the Bucknuts board today. I wanted to see if anyone was talking about it. I think I saw Dave Biddle over there say something about it. He said, hold up, hold up. Um, all due respect to the guys who were out, does it not look like Jones here may actually be better than the guy he replaced? Just putting it out there. He was a bulldozer of a human being all afternoon. Justin Fields carried a lot of the load. If you didn't see this game, it was kind of weird the way it played out. Some of the bad snap issues, some of the musical chairs on the offensive line early on, it took him a little while to settle in. He ended up having 200 yards passing, 100 yards rushing. He played a much better game than his statistics would indicate. Uh, there was, there was, I saw a big drop. There were a couple of there were a couple of big plays called back. I mean, that's why they throw the flag, because probably a hold allowed you to do what you did. But their defense needed this. Ohio State's defense really needed this. When you hear that ooh, they're going to have some guys out, including members of the secondary, and they've already been leaky back there, you, you think, ooh, Michigan State's not good, but could they even start moving the ball on us? Halftime, 270 to 80 yards. That was the advantage. They also held the Spartans to 0 of 8 on third down in the first half. That's a padlock stat because when you got a 28-zip lead, uh, if you're not playing Indiana, pretty safe at that point. So congratulations to Larry Johnson. Got a win yesterday as head coach. And now, I guess, all eyes are on Michigan. I have my doubts as to whether that game's going to be played. The Buckeyes open as a 30-and-a-half-point favorite, by the way. So it's kind of got an, an Alabama-LSU sort of vibe to it. Uh, but really where all eyes turn are to the Big Ten commissioner, league office, athletic directors, you know, that, that kind of um, group up there, if you will, that's going to ultimately decide if the qualifications aren't met, are we going to change the qualifications? I am on the record as saying I think they will. I think you're going to see that team play for a Big Ten title game. Florida beat Tennessee 31-19. to You know, this was pretty much the game we expected. We had uh, that thing sitting at 18, and I think Tennessee scored kind of a garbage time touchdown, and they ended up covering this was the kind of game that we expected. I mean, I talked about this last week, picked Tennessee to cover, and a lot of you said, oh, there's no way. There's no way they're holding us under 30 or 35. We're going to pull away from them. I, Florida's just not that much better than Tennessee. When I say that much better, I mean 30 points better. They're just not. I don't know what people have been watching. Florida's a great team. Uh, Tennessee is not particularly great this year. But they're, I guess later in the season, there, there comes to be this inflated sense of the gap between one and the other. I mean, this was going to be a hard-fought game, and it was. And Florida was certainly the better team, and they ended up proving that on the field. But it was, a, it was another big night for Kyle Trask. It had to be. He was 35 of 49, 433 yards, four touchdowns. Florida put up 17 runs, 49 passes. So that was what Dan Mullen thought was necessary, and he was right. I mean, we're I didn't even write down there. They, they didn't run the ball very well. Let me just say that. They didn't run the ball worth anything last night. That, that's normally a stat line. You know, when you, when you run it 17 times and you pass it 49 times, if I didn't give you the resume, if I didn't tell you who that was, what you would think is, oh, that must be a team that got down 21 nothing early. They had to abandon the run. Uh, Florida wasn't down for long anyway. They weren't down. They just they, they can't run the ball very well right now. And I think a lot of Gator fans kind of view that as, sort of a a terminally low ceiling on their overall opportunity this year. And I don't think you're necessarily wrong about that. When you consider the path, you've you've seen your team right now. Like, you've seen what Kyle Trask is doing. That's a team you want to win the playoff with. I mean, you're not just thinking about winning the division. You're thinking about, let's go be competitive against Alabama, and let's take our shot and maybe get in this playoff. When you consider that path, and you've got Alabama and Atlanta – 
And if you were to win that game, you've got two more to win a championship, two more of Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Notre Dame, like that group of of likely playoff contenders. you got to win three of those games, counting the SEC title game in all likelihood. How are you going to do that with no run game? You may beat one of them. You can beat three of them consecutively. You're going to be able to do that? I just, I just don't know. That's really tough to navigate with no offensive balance. So there's no quarterback in the country doing more than Kyle Trask right now. When you consider the fallback option of Najee Harris at Alabama, um, Ohio State ran the ball 300-plus yards yesterday. Like these other teams, they got fallback options. you got Travis Etienne at Clemson. They just don't have that at Florida, and it could be ultimately their undoing. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Cal beat Oregon yesterday. And we didn't really have any action on this game. I didn't talk about it a whole lot. Oregon, I think, was a nine and a half point favorite. And this is, I guess, this is a good time to remind everyone that pound for pound, Oregon has one of the youngest teams in America. Now, they're not paying me to say this tonight, but they are one of the youngest teams in America. It's been a really bad two week stretch. There's no other way to state this. They lost to Oregon State last week in the middle of a fog storm, I guess you would call it. And then they are in what should be a get right game as about a double-digit favorite against Cal, and just can't get it done. And these are games you have to win. There is no beating around the bush. you got a much better roster than both of these teams. These are games you have to win. And yet, if you think total yardage tells the whole story of a football game, it would really be confusing right now because they keep outgaining teams. They keep on, in some categories that people would call critical, surpassing that of their opponent. But yet, then you look down the box score a little bit, and you see that yet again this week, Oregon, minus in the turnover battle, minus two this week. They had uh, nine more penalties for 60 yards. And these are just the sorts of things you can't really quantify what they were worth against you and for your opponent, but keeps piling up and it keeps turning into a loss. And the worst thing about yesterday, if you're Oregon, is the script kind of flipped. You know, we were talking so far this year about how You know, we expected their offense to be a problem, defense to be good. Yet so far this year, offense had been really clicking. Even with first-year coordinator Joe Moorhead, like things have been clicking. It just, the defense had been MIA. All of a sudden, defense shows up yesterday. Okay, they they have a very, very good overall game. I I would rate it like a a B, B plus. And by Oregon standards, it would be an A or an A plus relative to what they haven't done defensively so far this year. But in the second half of this game, they got shut out, first off. Oregon got shut out. If I were to tell you, let's just say Oregon leads at halftime. Let me tell you how bad this was in the second half. I tell you Oregon leads at the half, 17 to 14 is your lead. And in the second half, you're going to hold Cal to 103 total yards 
and you're going to hold them to one of nine on third down, and you're still going to lose. How in the world does that happen? Like, think about the minimum baseline requirement at that point. You're going to hold them to 100 yards, one of nine on third down. What do you need? You need like a field goal or something like that? They couldn't even get that. And so Oregon goes down, and they're looking for a complete game, man. You know, I'm not so sure, as bad as things look there at the moment, I'm not so sure this may not be a team that we end up betting on. Uh, maybe this week, but maybe down the stretch, because certainly there's a lot of intrinsic value there. But it's also one of those where at times you've seen both sides of the ball for them put in really good performances. Normally a good team and a good roster does not go a whole year without having at least one game where those two jive and they click. Hadn't happened for Oregon yet. Kind of want to have your money on them when it does. Iowa State defeated soundly western uh, not western well it was, it was the western portion of virginia west virginia yesterday 42 to 6 so uh, i got some words written down here and this is this is personal for me so i just want to read these words shame embarrassment humiliation inferiority unworthiness and ultimately regret these are some of the emotions that were in plentiful supply in my heart yesterday when i realized that i had bet against the Iowa State Cyclones, and they were making me pay for it. A week after the Texas win, a week after they pretty much clinch a spot in the Big 12 championship game, and yet here I am thinking that, well, it wasn't my fault. It was the model's fault. The model thought that West Virginia was going to walk in there and give them a scare, and not so much. In fact, they were so thoroughly in control of this, they were drawing up specific touchdown plays to their seniors. It was senior day yesterday by the second quarter. Guys who haven't caught a touchdown pass their entire career, it was like it was a spring game. It was embarrassing. It was embarrassing for West Virginia, and it was embarrassing for me. Important point number one, Iowa State controlled the line of scrimmage. They have done that at times all year. They really limited the run. And important point number two that's going to matter when it comes to the Big 12 championship game is Brock Purdy who feels like he's been around 27 years at this point, he's playing the best football, I think, over the past few weeks of his entire career. You could really say that. Think about this stat here. I saw Michael Swain mention this on uh, Cyclone Alert, which is our 24-7 Sports Iowa State site, which I would encourage you to peruse at your leisure. Listen to these stats, man. Over the past, uh, since halftime of the Baylor game, Brock Purdy is 70 of 91 for 903 yards 10 touchdowns, no interceptions. Can we beat Oklahoma? I think we can. Will we? Stay tuned. Indiana did beat Wisconsin, 14-6. to We sat here, and I would love to tell you we took flack for it. We didn't, but we also didn't take credit for it. We sat here last week on the set, and uh, Colin and I were the brave souls that went ahead and told you, don't worry about Michael Penix being out. Don't even worry about it. Like they had the freshest image of Indiana football in your mind was, oh, they went into they went into the horseshoe. They had this magical comeback, almost beat Ohio State. They had the ball with a chance to tie the game. And but that quarterback, that quarterback that orchestrated all that, well, he's out now. And so too are the hopes and dreams of Indiana football. And we told you, Colin, I remember it just like it was well, five, six days ago. Told you. There's a kid, and his name's Jack Tuttle, and he's the backup quarterback for Indiana. He's not your average backup quarterback for Indiana, whatever that means. He's a really good football player. We think they're going to be fine. Like, they were a 14-point underdog. 
I, I went on Mark Ryan's show in ESPN Upstate and just picked them to win outright. We certainly had them as one of our best bets against the number last week. And sure enough, they won the game outright, 14 to 6. The temperature was one degree in this game, by the way. Maybe the cold weather snuck up on Wisconsin. No, I'll tell you what snuck up on Wisconsin is they're gutted. Uh, they are a shell of the team that we expected in the preseason. They got a lot of guys out, so. I mean, this is not a Badger squad that's firing on all cylinders. That's not the story, though. Indiana being 6-1 and one is the story. Um, it was, man, it was really fun to watch. They got enough out of the run game, which was a concern. You worried that they were going to have one of those 13 rushes for 17 yards types of days. No, nah, they ran it for 87. Uh, Tuttle was 13 of 22. 130 yards, two touchdowns, zero. Zero. Goose egg in the interception column. And Tom Allen after the game, I don't know if you guys saw it, but, boy, if you haven't, just go uh, search Tom Allen video. I don't know if you're on Google, search it on Twitter. Just Tom Allen postgame. He's right there on the field, and he's giving his postgame remarks. And there's a lot of money in recruiting budgets. One of the funnest columns that we do here every year is which program spends the most on its recruiting budget. And you're spending money to put an idea in kids' minds. But here's the best recruiting ammo that you could ever have. And it was free of charge yesterday. It got delivered to Indiana. Tom Allen's there on the field. This guy's universally adored and respected by players and by people in the sport. And he's doing his post-game press availability on the field. And his team is walking off the field right behind him. Their tunnel's right there. Microphone's right here. And he can't even finish his interview because his players keep coming up and recruiting just real-time into the microphone for Tom Allen and Indiana, telling them, come here. We love this dude. He loves us. Great environment. No better place. No better coach to play for in America. And I'm just sitting there thinking the whole time, how much was that just worth? It feels like it was worth like $10 million. And Tom Allen, the way he accomplished it is, you know, just be yourself. And being yourself with Tom Allen sure has worked. They are the second best team in the Big Ten. Uh, they, ch- you know, more and more. I heard some people start to make this point yesterday, and they're right. More and more, you look at how solid Indiana is now with their backup quarterback, and you say, "Oh, uh, it seems like not too long ago we were kind of chirping at Ohio State for almost giving that game away." It turns out they were playing a pretty darn good team in Indiana. Maybe shouldn't have taken that long to figure that out. As for uh, other goings on around the country yesterday. Coastal Carolina beat Brigham Young, not be mm, you, Brigham Young, 22 to 17. The inside story there is I cannot properly pronounce wise, so I don't do it on the show. Brigham Young uh, falls. They get a game with about 72 hours heads up. They go on the road. Equipment truck made it, which was number one mild upset for this game. And then number two, Coastal Carolina beats them, which was a little bit bigger upset as a 10-point underdog. There was a great ending to this game. Okay, a lot of greatness, okay? So let me tell you. There was a great ending. It was a great concept that this game came together. Uh, Coastal Carolina and Jamie Chadwell, it's a great story. Great message. Great fortitude. And then I want to do something that I wish more of you would do. I'm going to take this pen, and I am going to put a period at the end of that sentence. And that's all I have to say. I am not taking the added step of saying, and this team should be in the playoff. Because they shouldn't. Shouldn't be in the playoff. Shouldn't be in the playoff conversation. You know my feelings on this. I think it is ludicrous. To, again, let me, re, let me reiterate what I said. A lot of greatness. A lot of greatness. Love the story. I've watched uh, not every Coastal game, but several of their games this year. I am all for it, right down to the color of the field. Teal is one of my favorite colors, by the way. And so I love everything about it. This is a much broader point than Coastal. I have long considered the concept 
of G5 teams and Power 5 teams competing for the same playoff spots to be absurd. They're not playing the same sport. The quality year in and year out and strength of schedule on a G5 team versus a P5 team schedule is night and day. They're not playing the same sport. So let's not pretend they are. Because here's what would be really fun right now. What would be really fun is if we were heading into December and I knew that Coastal was about to be the number one seed in the G5 playoff, and then I was going to have Napier down at Louisiana, and I was I was going to get these teams that you know UCF in the past, Houston, Memphis in the past, Cincinnati was going to be in this thing. That I would well I wouldn't have to pay for it. They'd probably put it on TV, but I would uh, pay a lot of money. I would invest a lot of my energy in watching that. I'm not going to sit here and even pretend like I want to know what would happen if the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers drew the University of Alabama in the first round of the playoff. Like, you don't need to see that. I don't need to see that. And please spare me this talk about how college basketball makes it happen. Yeah. Let me tell you something else college basketball makes happen. They make this happen, too. They make it possible for the number one team and number two team in the country to be scheduled, have the game canceled, and me not even realize it until 24 hours later. That happened yesterday. I, I forgot Gonzaga and somebody. They were supposed to play yesterday. Kentucky, I just found out, lost today to uh, Colin. Who was it? Georgia Tech? Yeah, they lost to Georgia Tech today. I wouldn't have even known if Colin told me. You know why? Because that tournament you all love so much, and I do too, has rendered the other 11 months' worth of college basketball talk, build up, and play irrelevant to people like me. And so I would prefer not to see that happen in college football. That's why I'm not for expansion. I'm not for inclusion of everybody from every corner of the country. No, you give me the best, you set out the criteria, and then you decide, and there's going to be some subjectivity in there, and I understand that. But I think pretty much every one of us is in agreement. No, I don't think that team could compete with Ohio State. And no, I don't think I need to see it to have it proven. There's nothing magical about that. There's nothing special about that. Nothing at all. You are shaving away at the overall value of the regular season, which is the most priceless commodity in the college football inventory, and you're doing it for what? To, to, to appease? I, I don't know what you're doing it for, uh, because I am not of the opinion that just because some folks are upset about something, it means something's wrong. Folks can be upset. It's not going to kill them. It's not the worst thing in the world. But no, I'm, I'm not for that. So I know it makes me, as everyone else wants to be Santa Claus, handing out and not uh, playoff tickets, you can call me the Grinch if you want to. That is not what college football needs. If you want to argue G5 playoff, I'll beat that drum with you all day. But no. On the other side of the coin, no. All right, let's talk about coaching intel. Now that everyone's in a bad mood, let's talk about coaching intel. Because we got some. Yesterday, Texas went to Manhattan, Kansas, and they just blasted Kansas State. A lot of you were dumbfounded by this. Uh, myself, chief among you, 69-31 to 31 was the final. And so uh, you look at that and you say, um, hmm, what do I make of this? Because Texas hasn't shown this kind of explosive ability all year, and yet also you probably have a great result there and maybe it's deemed irrelevant. So I get a text from someone. Uh, who shall I say, is very close to Texas. And the text during the game and after the game yesterday says, well, I guess you can't fire a coach after that. Well, of course you can. Uh, As long as you had already cut the rope before the game happened, that goes back to what I was talking about last week. And we're going to kind of get to the whole Urban Meyer deal here in a second. This goes back to what I was talking about before this game. Don't allow yourself to get into this, this quicksand of letting opinion change 
and letting the tide change week to week based on outcomes of four-quarter football games. Like If Tom Herman is your guy, it doesn't matter if he loses Saturday because that one game doesn't change who he is. And if Tom Herman's not your guy, it doesn't matter if he wins by 40 points or a million points. That doesn't change the fact that he's not your guy. So, yeah, you you could, of course, make a move. I don't care if he scored 100 yesterday. You could make a move. I don't know if they will. So that is the question. Because we're kind of at the same place with the whole Urban Meyer deal. I know there's some rumors out there tonight, but we're kind of at the same place with the Urban Meyer deal for Texas as we were entering the weekend. And my biggest question was, okay, if you can, if you can get Urban, well, I, that's obviously the path you're going to go. If you can't, then did yesterday's result actually mean anything? And by mean anything... I'm talking about if you have the path B, the scenario B, plan B that you have to go down where you can't get Urban Meyer, my big question last week was, is it Herman's out regardless, or is it Herman's out if we can get Urban Meyer, or is it Herman's out if we can get Urban Meyer, or candidate B or C? Are we still moving on here? That's what I want to know. Are we still making a move? And that, I think, is very much up in the air. If you do make a move, how many guys are you willing to make a move for? outside of the obvious. And second question, same as Friday, same as Thursday, is if you don't make a move, how do you sell that to recruits? That's, that's, that, how do you sell it to your current roster? And how do you sell it to recruits? Because it's pretty public now what's happening. It's pretty public that you're looking for a replacement. And if you just, just because you can't get the replacement doesn't mean that I buy into the notion that this guy is still our head coach, whether you tell me he is or not. So Chip Brown over on Horns 24-7 I put out some information earlier today. I strongly encourage you guys to be checking out the site over there. They're about as dialed in as anyone on this situation. And he had a quote. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he was essentially relaying what he's been told by people close to the program. And there's a lot of gray area here. I got to be honest with you. Uh, he Chip told the folks over there at Horns 24-7 that someone had told him, you know, paying $25 million to buy out Tom Herman a 31 and 19 head coach, if it means getting Urban Meyer, that's one thing. But I don't know how many people are on board with paying $25 million to buy him out if it doesn't mean Urban Meyer. Translation, don't know if they have the support over there to make a move regardless. Do know that they have a support there to make a move if they can get Canada Day. And Canada Day seems waffly at best right now. Uh, there certainly has been no definitive movement from the Urban Meyer camp as of uh, 7.49 Central Standard Time on Sunday night. That's where things stand. Now, I'm pretty sure we're going to talk about this Tuesday night. How about Jim Harbaugh, though? Because this, surprisingly, I thought I was going to be talking about I thought I was going to be talking about Tom Herman a lot more than Jim Harbaugh this weekend. But yet there were some reports and there were some rumors floating around over the course of the weekend and then the past 24 hours. One of them was, well, Jim Harbaugh is close to signing an extension with Michigan. How about that? And then there was another one, Jim Harbaugh seriously considering going back to the NFL. How about that? And so what do we make of this? Well, I talked to the same people that I have gone to and listened to the same people that I have learned to listen to on this. The message is the same. The message is the same. The first part is the guy's not getting fired. Want to put that out there and make that crystal clear. Unlike Tom Herman, where there are conditions on the firing, that that's, doesn't look to be the case with Jim Harbaugh. So you got a couple of other options. 
Because as I told you, as much as I said Michigan's not making a move to fire him, I did tell you last week Michigan's got to make a move. But the move they they have to make is to the nearest microphone to make sure that people know where he stands. Because next year is the last year of his contract, and uh, there are a few truths in an uncertain world, but one of them is that guy's not entering the last year of his deal with everything up in the air publicly. You will know something one way or the other. Well, maybe those wheels are in motion. Now, it's a very tenuous situation at Michigan right now. you got some former players that are pretty organized behind the scenes. They don't like the direction of the program. They want them to make a move. You've got other folks that understand the financial hardships and realities within the athletic department, which is a, a kind of a vestige and a branch of the overall university system there. And it's, it's not good financially. It's not good. No different than really a lot of other places. And thirdly, this is Michigan. Culture's different here. They pride themselves on not being quite as foam-mouthed and rabid as folks elsewhere. Football's not the end-all, be-all here, and we're certainly not firing this guy in a pandemic, and we double certainly aren't firing him when we have all this other financial mess around us. So there are varying schools of thought there is what I'm telling you. So if he doesn't walk away to go to the NFL, and I don't know that there are any offers even on the table, he certainly has categorically denied those rumors. If that's not going to happen, I think he's going to get extended. And I don't necessarily know if it's going to include this huge fat buyout. So it may be window dressing more so than anything else. But I know a lot of you in other portions of the country are looking at this situation and you're saying, oh, man, my university would never do this. They'd never put up with this. You're right. Your university is not Michigan. Michigan handles things a little bit differently there. So if I've had to put my money on something, I put my money on Jim Harbaugh being at Michigan next year. And I think that he will have signed a contract extension. I'm not going to bet on it, but if I had to, that's where I'd land right now. Now, that is all rumor and speculation, innuendo, whatever you want to call it. In Columbia, South Carolina, they've made it official. Shane Beamer is going to be the new head coach of the South Carolina Gamecocks. Who is he? Well, short order right now. He's the tight ends coach out at Oklahoma. He's 43 years old. Um, you could, you got a lot of, of detractors out there who will be really quick to tell you guys got no head coaching experience, no coordinator experience. That's one way to look at it. Okay. Those things are true. I don't know about the connotation, but those things are true. Uh, the other side, the optimist would tell you, well, he's a rising star in the business. He knows Southern recruiting. He certainly knows the state of South Carolina and the South Carolina program. And he loves this program. So they're going to sell you on it being a culture fit. He was introduced today, met with a lot of the staff. I saw where he was over there even late into this evening, maybe gone by now, but late into this evening, kind of meeting with the team, meeting with staff, probably won't keep most of them. Maybe he'll keep some of them. I don't know. But here's an important point. I was looking at John Whittle. I was looking at Sherbert and the guys over there on the Big Spur reporting that he's going to finish the season with Oklahoma. Now, I got to be honest with you, five years from now, if this works out, you won't even remember that. Like Kirby did this with, with Alabama and Georgia. He stuck it out with Alabama. They were in the midst of a national title run, and Georgia folks didn't like it at the time. No one even talks about it now because, I mean, it's, it just it, he was able to stack recruiting classes on top of each other. Georgia's been a monster. Like They don't care about it now. So if, if, if Beamer's able to have success at Carolina, no one will care about it. Uh, however, we aren't five years down the road. We're right here in late 2020, and – I understand some frustration from some Gamecock fans about this because if you're going to sell me on how much you adore this program and how ready you are to get to work, I'll believe you. Show me and tell them, thanks, but I got to go. You know, I, 
I appreciate it. And perfect world, I'd love to stay here, but I got business to take care of. I mean, I, I got a roster. I got to re-recruit my roster over there. I got to figure out who's staying, who's going. We got 11 days and change until early signing day. We got to see what we can do about next year, not three or four years from now. We want to see what we can be next year. I would love for him to be starting tomorrow. Doesn't look like that's going to be the case. Now, I understand you can do a lot of this stuff virtually, so he can go back to Norman. He can split duties. I'm not ignorant enough to think otherwise. However, if you believe in symbolism, sure would be nice to have him on the job now. As for Billy Napier, I was told his interview went really well. Uh, there were some complications, uh, which we don't need to get into here. There have been some complications behind the scenes that made his interview process kind of hard. Now, he had COVID, and that's public. But there were some other hurdles that they had to overcome. Uh, his interview did not happen in person because of that. So that's what needs to be put out there. It's all that's really important because it's, it's not football-related, in other words. I think this needed to be a perfect fit kind of listening to some people close to him and listening to and reading between the lines. I don't think he's been dying to leave Louisiana. I don't think that South Carolina was dying to hire him. I think there was so much universal support behind the scenes for Shane Beamer that it was going to it was going to have to be a grand slam on either side and I just I don't get the sense that that's where it was, especially on Napier's side. I don't get the sense that's where it was. So Maybe it's a situation where you look back again five years down the road and both parties are better off for it. I don't know. But I do know, you know, it wasn't any kind of disaster interview. Things went really well for him. It just didn't work out for a couple of different reasons. It didn't work out. Let's go back to the, the things that I wanted Carolina to hit. So, so everyone asked me today, what do you think about this hire? So I told you when they fired Muschamp, here's what I'm looking for. When they hire a coach, I, whether it's the head coach or whether it's the philosophy he installs, it just needs to be radically different offensively than what they've been doing. I, based on words coming out of people's mouths, based on what they're going to draw on paper, I think we can check that box. They're going to try. So they're committed to it. We'll see how it plays out on the field. I thought South Carolina needs a supreme evaluator of talent, maybe even more important than recruiting there, although that's neck and neck. I don't know about him as an evaluator, to be honest with you. I think I do know that we can check the box when it comes to recruiting. Not only Beamer, but I think his staff, there will be a premium placed on recruiting even over on field to start. you got to build the roster before you can coach the roster. So I think we can check that box. I also told you, and a lot of you remember this, I wanted what I called the uh-oh factor, which is when they hear who the hire is at Georgia or Florida or Tennessee, they go, uh-oh, and I don't think you accomplished that. Now, that's not the end-all, be-all. Some of the greatest hires in the history of college football have been underappreciated at the time they were hired, and some of the most lauded hires have failed spectacularly. I mean, think about the conversation we're having with Jim Harbaugh in Michigan right now. You need go no further than that for evidence. But I did think you needed to accomplish that, and they didn't accomplish it. So what did we check? We checked one, two, three of those boxes, and the third one is the last one. And I think we checked this several times over. I told you I wanted someone there who does indeed view it as a destination job or, as you may call it, a dream job. Now, there's no question amongst anyone associated with this search, Shane Beamer certainly views this as his dream job and a destination job. So I was listening today to a lot of feedback. I normally like to shut up when a coaching hire is made. You can't tell that from watching this, I know. But I normally love to shut up when a coaching hire is made, and I just want to soak it in. Because there's always the reason to be optimistic. I, I know the reasons to be pessimistic here. Uh, I, I'm not blown away by the hire, but I also believe, like I told you with Christopher Walken in Wedding Crashers, when he's sitting there talking to, 
whatever Rachel McAdams' character's name is, and he says, we have no way to know what the future holds. We just have to make the best decisions now with the information at hand. Carolina thinks they made the best information. Well, they took the information at hand, and they think they made the best decision. He won this job, did Shane Beamer, because he won the community. Uh, Don't think for a second that there weren't people behind the scenes, former players, administrators around that program, vouching for him by the dozens and the hundreds. Don't think that didn't push this over the top, because it absolutely did. So now South Carolina's sold. A lot of the fan base is sold. I'm in the remains-to-be-seen camp, but hey, it'd be kind of hypocritical of me to bang on this hire too much because of what I told you at the outset of this hire. Sorry about that, Colin. And what I told you was, stop worrying about what anyone else thinks about your program. I mean, I could I could knock this thing all day. And yet, on the other hand, I'd also tell you, don't listen to what I'm saying. Don't listen to what anyone else says. Do you love it? Because it's your program. Do you love the hire? If you do, everything else is irrelevant. All right, let's wrap it up with Ramen Noodle Express here. Uh, we went 5-4 and four this weekend. We are 59.7% against the number. Again, feel free to round up to 60 if you so choose. Boy, I got one we love. I put it out earlier today. I'm looking at it right. Hold on, I don't want to lie to you. Okay, I'm looking at it right now. And it has not moved. So right now, the line is still what I released earlier today. Virginia is being given two and a half points against Virginia Tech. I don't normally give you score predictions because what we're looking for in our model, we're looking for a cover probability and a margin. And it does spit out score projections to us, but I, I don't think there's any skill in predicting score. However, just for, just for full transparency, I will tell you our model has Virginia winning this game 36-25. to 25. We have them winning the game by 9, and they are a 2.5-point dog. So if, if those of you who maybe see this later and the line has moved, if you feel like coming to me and saying, do you still like it at this number, at that number? Yes, I like it at any number you're going to get it at. We're getting it at two and a half. For records purposes, we're getting it. I can also tell you, I cannot in strong enough terms encourage you, follow me on Twitter, at Late Kick Josh. We had four picks that I put out on Twitter last week after the Thursday show that weren't on the show or podcast that if you're not following on Twitter, you missed. So make sure you're there. And I want to tell you this. We are probably going to move on games this week a little bit early, maybe even disproportionately early relative to a normal week. ton of reasons there that aren't important. Uh, the point is, make sure you follow me on Twitter, at Late Kick Josh. All right, we got to get out of here. For Director Colin, for producer on the podcast side of things, Jordan, I'm Josh Pate. Have a great week. The games have massive consequence at this point. Looking forward to talking about it. If anything breaks in the coaching world, you know where to look. Subscribe to the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. While you're here, find the Late Kick podcast. Subscribe there and leave a five-star review. That is enough of me begging for tonight. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. 